0: Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa in part two of his series, Standing on the Promises of God, where he preaches from 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, in a message titled, A Treasury of Promises. Imagine digging in your backyard, and as you do, your spade hits something solid. And as you dig around the object, you soon discover that you have stumbled over a chest buried in the ground. And quickly you pull out the chest from the ground and out of curiosity, you open the latch and raise the lid. And to your amazement, it is full of gold coins. Millions of millions of dollars worth. What would you do? Would you get the coins appraised? Would you seek out a buyer for the coins? Would you cash them in at the bank? Or would you close the lid, place a treasure chest back in the ground, and cover it up with dirt? I think it's a no-brainer. You would take the necessary steps to get the value of those coins in your bank account so you could begin spending the money. Well, what if I told you the Bible is like that treasure chest? But instead of gold coins, it is full of something infinitely better. It is filled with the promises of God. But sadly, many Christians don't know God's promises. It's like God gives us a treasure chest full of gold coins and we never open it to see what's inside. And the sad truth is many Christians live like spiritual paupers despite the many riches God has given them. Listen to what Peter writes concerning promises. He says his divine power has granted to us all that, all things that pertain to life and godliness Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I would have you take note of two words in those two verses God's promises are precious, they're valuable, they're cherished. And they are great, they're splendid, they're superb. On the day of our salvation, we inherited all of God's promises and became truly prosperous. However, in order to benefit, we need to cash them in. To live without claiming what God has for us is like being a millionaire who has a bank book but never writes a check. God wants us to open this treasure chest and to see all the riches we have in His promises. He wants us to see his promises, to trust his promises, and to be transformed by his promises. Last Sunday, I began a series which I entitled Standing on the Promises of God. And we are exploring the various facets and aspects of the promises that God has given to us. Then as we move into the Advent and Christmas season, we will consider some of the specific promises God gave concerning the birth of his son that took place in that town of Bethlehem. The Scottish pastor and writer Thomas Cuthrie described the Bible in this way. He said the Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, a balm for every wound. Rob us of our Bible and our sky has lost its sun. Cutthory expressed what you and I ought to feel about the Bible and the promises it contains. Who can imagine all the wonders that God has in store for us? And these assurances, these promises are plainly written for us to understand. Have you read a contract recently? If you have, you know how complicated these legal agreements are. There are pages and pages which you need to read through. The language is often difficult and hard to decipher and understand. And for many of these legal agreements, you need the assistance of a lawyer, but that is not the case concerning God's promises. God's assurances to us are simple. They're clear. They are warm and personal. If they have conditions, the conditions are doable. If they have consequences, the results are well defined. As I mentioned last Sunday, the promises of God are sure They are like a promissory note. Just as a promissory note is backed up by the person who issued it, God's promises are backed up by his character. Because he is faithful, because he is trustworthy, his promises are true and they are sure. In Numbers 23, verse 19, we read, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God will not change his mind about what he has said this morning. I want us to open up the treasure chest of God's promises and consider five significant promises. God would have us embrace as we walk with him. And the first promise concerns his pardon. This promise is foundational to the Christian faith. Anyone who believes in Jesus will not die, but will live forever with him in heaven. Sin is so real, and so is our guilt before God. And one of the worst things we can do is deny this or pretend it isn't true. But the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But an even worse thing is to turn our back on, God, on God's offer of forgiveness and salvation. And we can do this by denying it or refusing it, of course. But we can also do it by doubting God's promises to forgive us. When we truly repent and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But God's promises to forgive us is clear. And he does not lie. The Bible says if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How do we know God will forgive us? We know it because of Jesus Christ. This morning we observed the Lord's Supper that that spoke of of his sacrifice in our behalf. He was without sin, but when he died on the cross, all of our sins were transferred to him. And he became the final and complete sacrifice for our sins. Think of it. We deserve to die for our sins, but he died in our place. Therefore, we can embrace the promise of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise that God has given to us. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure to do it. And to all who believe him and accept him, he gives the right to become his children, the children of God. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. So as we dig through the treasure chest of God's promises, we discover the promise of his pardon. But we also discover the promise of his presence. One of the greatest promises of the Bible is the last one Jesus gave after his resurrection and prior to his return to heaven. He told his disciples and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say I'm with you sometimes, nor did he say I'm there most of the time. He said, I am with you always. So whether you are depressed or happy angry or joyful, confused, hungry or full, sick or well, or penniless or with money in your pocket, Jesus is still with you. No matter what's going on in your life, he is close to you. You and I know what it's like to have a friend who sticks close to us regardless of what we're going through. But it's even better to have someone unfazed by the darkness that is around us when we walk through those dark valleys even in the midst of the darkness, Christ will be our shelter and our joy. Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139 as he reflected upon the attributes of God. He said, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and she all, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be dark, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as a day, for darkness is as light with you. You and I do not walk alone. During the time that we spend upon this earth, we have the promise of a loving God who says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And so the treasure chest of God's word contains the promise of his pardon, the promise of his presence, but it also holds a promise of his provision for all of our needs. Since God is concerned for each of us as his redeemed children, the Apostle Paul assures us that this concern certainly extends to our basic daily needs, not our greeds, but our needs. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now you and I need to remember that this promise was made in connection with the financial support the Philippians had sent to Paul for his missionary ministry. Paul was then assuring them that their giving would never be their lack. They would never have to fear their financial generosity for the advancement of the gospel would result in their basic needs not being met. God would supply their needs. And the reason for his supply was nothing less than his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so Paul assured these believers who, who gave sacrificially for his mission ministry, he assured them that God would provide their every need. Jesus gave an exhortation against anxiety regarding our daily needs. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, he focuses on the fact of God's personal care for us. And three times in that passage, he says, do not be anxious. And five times, there are questions asked that are designed to show the foolishness of anxiety. So I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Therefore, I tell you, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Have you ever paused to ask the question, why is anxiety so foolish? Why is it so foolish for us to become anxious and to worry It is foolish because it is futile in view of the Father's loving care and knowledge of our needs. He teaches us such worry is a product of being people of little faith. Worry is a product of, of failing to reflect in the fatherly care God must have for us as his people. After all, if he shows such wonderful care for the birds of the air and for the lilies of the field, won't he show the same care for you and for me? Therefore, in light of God's loving care and the temporary and evil nature of this world, our greatest priority and concern must be the spiritual. It must be seeking for him first in our lives, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. There is a promise of his provision. But there is also the promise of perseverance. Christ came not only to forgive our sins, but to deliver us from them. On the cross... He broke the power of sins master over us. That means that we don't have to give in any longer to sins that used to dominate us. Our life should look progressively different after we come to Christ. Addictions can be broken. We can speak in a new way. We don't have to be angry all the time. It will mean that we depend on the spirit of God who resides in us. And we will need to surround ourselves with resources from the body of Christ to help. But the transformation of our heart and life. Is not only possible, but it's expected. There is no need to be overtaken with temptation. You and I do not need to give in to the many voices that are calling us away from Christ. Instead, we need to persevere as we claim God's promise to us. Listen to the promise given in 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with a temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Ever since the Garden of Eden, people have faced temptation. and it's not wrong to face temptation. that's part of our journey on this earth. The problem is we give in to temptation. For Adam and Eve, temptation was a forbidden fruit. For me and for you, it could be cheating, could be lying, could be gossiping or anger. But fortunately, God makes two important promises for us to remember when we are being tempted. First, he'll make sure the temptation is never more than we can bear. It might be more than I can handle by myself, but it can't possibly be more than God can handle. He's always there for us to lean on. And second, God promises to give us a way out of the temptation He'll show us a way if we ask. Without God, we wouldn't have a chance against temptation. With God, we can stand strong. And that is a point that Jude makes in his epistle. Listen to what he says. God is strong and can help you not to fall. He can bring you before his glory without any wrong in you and and can give you great joy. God makes us strong. Do you remember what the Lord said to Paul? He made this promise to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In ourselves, we have no power and can do nothing. We cannot continue in the Christian life on our own. But the Lord does not abandon us. The gospel fills us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be delivered to a new life that benefits others and that glorifies God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is living within us. So in God's treasure chest, the promises, we've discovered the promise of pardon, of presence, provision, perseverance, but also perpetuity. I have to get a word that started with P. (laughs) What does perpetuity mean? It means to last forever, unceasing, continuing without interruption, everlasting time, eternity. In light of that, listen to the words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Before his crucifixion, as he met with his disciples in the upper room, he made this promise to them. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to my cell, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is going to return to claim his people, so that he can take them home to be with him forever. As Jesus discussed his intentions with his disciples and with others, he he often used the word picture of a groom returning for his bride. The church, he said, is a bride of Christ. And the bride waits eagerly for her new husband to come and claim her like a knight on a stallion. Taking her home to her happily ever after. That home, of course, is heaven. And the marriage is the ultimate intimacy with Christ that all his people will share. Never to be separated from him again. He will arrive for us in the sky. Just as he left when he ascended to heaven. And according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He will break through the clouds. With a great shout, with the voice of the archangel, a trumpet will sound, and those of his children who have passed away will rise to meet him in the air. Then his living followers will join them, and all of them will return to live with Christ forever. These are only five promises found in that treasure chest of promises from God. There are so many more precious and great promises in that treasure chest. God, our God of promise, has made a ton of them to us, his children. But often we don't realize how much we need God's promises until, we, until our smooth and easy life suddenly turns sideways. It's then when life throws us a, a curveball that we need to dig into God's treasure chest of promises and get something to wrap our faith around to ground us in. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we read and claimed God's promise one day and received the answer to it the next day? Wouldn't the Christian life be easy if the space and time was short between when we claimed God's promise and when we received what he promised? Wouldn't that be great? But life is often not like that. The hard part is in the waiting between the promise and the answer. And even harder when the waiting comes with uncertainties. When questions swirl in our minds. Questions like, where is this circumstance taking me? Where am I going to end up? What is my future going to look like? The reality is we just don't know. And it's this not knowing that crushes us. We doubt because we don't know. We worry and despair because we don't know. We falter and sometimes fail all because we don't know. And we silently think if we only knew how life was going to play out, we would be okay. We could trust God. But because we don't know how it's going to play out, we despair. For some, it's a health crisis. For another, it's a relational issue or an uncertainty with a child. For some, it's an employment issue or a financial issue. We all have areas of uncertainty where we need to hold on to what God has said. His promises are what we cling to while we wait for him to work. Our faith is in God. He knows what he has promised. He can't lie. He can't forget. He will deliver on time, all the time, in his time. Who else can make a promise like that? Now, I wish I could tell you that it always figures out perfectly in our lifetime. But I would be lying to you if I said that. You cannot make sense of the promises of God with this life only. You must factor in the reality of eternity. That has to be factored into the equation. Eternity brings it all together. The promises of eternal life and the assurance of hope in heaven are what makes God's promises exceedingly great and precious, as Peter said to us in his epistle. His great and precious promises. As I conclude this morning, there are two things I would just have you reflect on throughout this day. Name a promise that God has made to you in his word that you need to remember today. Think of a promise. Think of your circumstances, where you find yourself right now. Everything that is happening around you, going on around you. And think of a promise from God's word. That you need to remember today, that you need to wrap your faith around. And the second thing I would ask you to consider what promise do you cling to that will only make sense in eternity? You cling to a promise now and you just don't see how it fits into your present circumstance, but you need to see it in light of eternity. And as you think of that promise, or which promise is, is it that will make sense? In eternity. As I was preparing for this session, these uh, messages around this series, Standing on the Promises of God, I thought that in the Sundays before us, ahead of us, that it would be good for you to share of the promise or promises that you have clung to, that you are clinging to. And so during our worship services in the next few Sundays, I will provide that opportunity for you to just stand and declare a promise that you are resting upon, that you are standing upon, one that you have wrapped your faith around. You may want to take more time to share of that promise in your circumstances. I welcome you to do that. And uh, if you would like to have further time to share, just come and talk to me. And I'll make sure that you have opportunity to share of that promise and your circumstances and how God has been faithful to you as you have clung to that promise. Uh, I'll make sure that you have opportunity to do that in the worship service. But I would have you reflect upon a promise or promises that you are presently clinging to in, your particular, in this particular season of your life. I want to conclude with this story. Linda Knox was in her 80s when she died of mal- malnutrition in her Chicago apartment. Apparently, she'd lost her sight, and her mind had failed. Among her belongings, they found the equivalent of $186,000 in uncashed checks, $206,000 in works of art, $440,000 in jewels, and $56,000 in antiques. In all, she had an estate worth of over $900,000. But she died of malnutrition alone in her Chicago apartment. There's a lesson for us here. We have a treasure chest of God's promises. It is filled to overflowing. You and I need to know what those promises are. Need to cash them in, so to speak. And need to stand, have our faith stand upon what God has said he would do. Let us trust him and embrace those great and precious promises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the many, many, many promises contained in your word. And once again, I ask that you would instill within us that desire, that longing to know your promises and to embrace your promises. Father, that we would stand upon those promises. You know what each person here this morning is going through. And you know which promise they need to embrace. So, Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would impress upon them from your word that which they need to hear today. That it would just resound in in their inner recesses. Father, that it would stir their spirit and instill hope within them. For you are the God of promise. And in this we rejoice. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.